welcome to the Hooked on Health podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sean Lord. I am the author of Stop Aging in Its Tracks and the owner of Concierge Physical Therapy, a sports medicine physical therapy practice with multiple locations in Massachusetts. Please sit back and enjoy the show. All right. So uh, welcome to the Hooked on Health podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sean Lorden, physical therapist and owner of Concierge PT in Sutton and Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. And today we've got a distinguished guest, Dr. Alexios Karayanopoulos. I think, did I butcher that or <laughs> did I get pretty close? Karayanopoulos, pretty good. Karayanopoulos, uh, nice and Greek. So uh, Alexios, just I'd uh, love for you to introduce yourself and um, just kind of talk about your path to, to where you are today and, and uh, how you got into pain medicine. And surgery. Uh, Sean, thanks for including me. So uh, I'm Alexios Karianopoulos. I am a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist and a subspecialist in uh, interventional spine and uh, pain management. Uh, I am currently the chief of the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehab at uh, Rhode Island Hospital, Newport Hospital, and throughout the lifespan physician uh, uh, system, which is in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and throughout the state. Um, I've been here for seven years, uh, and I'm an academic uh, physician affiliated with Brown. Um, I'm an associate professor there, and I do a lot of research. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so let's just dive right in. So let's just talk about your training and, and sort of what got you into, you know, why did you want to go down the path of, of um, you know, physical me- medicine and rehab? Uh, great question. So I was in the military for uh, many years, and I got introduced to physical medicine or PM&R when I myself got injured. Um, I was in a very active position uh, in the submarine world, in uh, the diving world, and uh, function was key for my participation in team-based strategies and events. And um, uh, my ability was impaired by a musculoskeletal injury. Um, And I realized that uh, I was a member of the team and my continued ability to function um, had impact on the entire team, the entire mission. Um, And I was personally introduced to a physiatrist at the Landstuhl Medical Center in Germany. I was was stationed overseas. And they really helped me to understand what the specialty is and how, uh, what the uniqueness of the specialty is and really dealing with um, comprehensiveness of what a patient might be dealing with. Um, and uh, it really looks at patients from a biopsychosocial approach, meaning all the um, aspects that deal with medical illness or physical illness uh, need to be considered, not just, say, a lab work that's off or a specific injury such as a fracture. So it's a very comprehensive approach, um, and it resonated with me because being in the military and being um, in the teams out in the field, uh, it really matters that everybody's coordinated together. And uh, I, that was the first segue into me understanding this was a very unique specialty. Yeah, I think that's great. And do you feel like the DO program versus, because you're DO versus MD, do you feel like that kind of, that helped? It's more of like, a, you know, from what I understand, just, you know, from just a general, from the PT world. Is yeah, it, DO another is great question. And, you know, do like the manips and, and things like that. So the, as you know, there are two types of physicians in the United States who can practice medicine and surgery, Um, medical doctors or MDs, which are the predominant um, uh, physicians and surgeons out there, and then DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine, 
who are fully um, uh, licensed to practice medicine surgery throughout the United States. Uh, the advantage of uh, DOs is that they receive extra training um, in musculoskeletal uh, and neurologic issues related to uh, the body. And they approach care um, in a very different method. And uh, it, it, this history is a very uh, long and proud tradition that stemmed from the uh, mid 1800s that's um, been proliferated throughout the United States. And the approach is that the body has an inherent ability to heal itself um, and that other forces come into play um, which can aid uh, the patient uh, to, to get better and to improve. And uh, the comprehensiveness of that approach is akin to the comprehensiveness of physical medicine and rehab. Um, and additionally to the comprehensive approach of uh, pain management, which is a really uh, multimodal uh, treatment paradigm that uses different strategies, uh, which outside of the external strategies that a provider may give to the patient or share with the patient, it really depends on the patient's participation and willingness to uh, to get better and to understand the role that they play in the treatment. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, as, as in the PT world, we get to see patients much more often than you guys do. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about fear avoidance and that sort of thing. And I'd love to dive into that, but just, there's such a psychological, psychological component to low back pain and, um, you know, the fear, the fear avoidance and things like that. So I'd love to, you know, have you touch on that a little bit later and how that affects outcomes, right? Because sometimes, and I've been through it myself, the first thing you do is, you know, you bend and twist and you're in excruciating pain and you can't move or you start to get that referred pain and you say, oh my gosh, I just need to not do anything for, for three to, you know, three days to a week. And, uh, you know, you, you and I both know that that could be the worst thing that you could do potentially. So. Sean, sorry to interrupt. I'm having a hard time hearing you. There's a way to increase your volume. Here we go. Can you hear me okay now? Um, still a little muted. Hang on. Can can you all hear me? I can hear, hear you pretty well here. And if you guys want to just type into the chat box um, that you can hear hear us both, that'd be great. Uh, perfect. Can you hear me okay? Sorry. I, I can hear you better now. Thank you. Okay. Good. Good. Um, Perfect. All right. So it looks like our audience. And just to, sorry, just to go back to your um, later, late, uh, previous comment, um, the the fear, uh, the fear avoidance behavior that patients have um, is understandable, and a lot of it comes from their personal history with pain, um, and also their history of other uh, issues like trauma. Um, and uh, pain is a very individualized and subjective feeling and uh, it's it neat pain management as well as rehab medicine and as well as uh, rehabilitative medicine that you practice takes into account all of these factors that influence somebody's loss of function right right so let's just let's use that as a diving board and let's just dive right into you know who is your ideal patient you know let's just kind of keep it to low back pain obviously you see a bunch of different diagnoses um, who is, you know, who can, who is somebody who you can really help? So I think the ideal patient is a motivated patient who understands their injury, um, understands why it happened. Uh, and sometimes injuries aren't necessarily, um, avoidable or completely understandable because the body is a complex 
um, uh, machine. Um, but the more successful patients have introspection about their own pain, their own experience with pain. Um, these patients should understand self-care options, meaning preventive strategies uh, that can be utilized moving forward and also have some understanding of factors that may have influenced their, um, their pathway into pain. I also feel that it's very important that patients who achieve success in any type of treatment, whether it's acute treatment or longitudinal maintenance of treatment, have realistic expectations about what their recovery means to them. Um, meaning, uh, you know, say you, you have an elderly person uh, whose intent is to be able to walk to the mailbox um, without pain or with less pain. And that really matters uh, to them and their daily routine. Uh, that may be a different um, uh, a goal than say a younger person who's participating in, in sport and wants to get back to being a triathlon. Um, so it's important that the patient understand the context of their own um, uh, desire and what they want to achieve in order for them to be successful. And for us to be successful, right? Because we don't know, right. you know, right. we don't know what people are trying to get back to, you know, and it's the first question within the first 10 minutes. And I'm sure you have the same conversations, you know, what, are, what function have you lost or what do you, you know, I always ask, you know, what are you hoping to gain from, from physical therapy? And usually you get, it's really question specific, right? So if you ask the right question, you know, they'll tell you, I want to walk to the mailbox. I want to be able to play in the playoffs this year, you know, for my soccer, you know, whatever it is. Um, but uh, let's dive right into some of the non-specific low back pain that gets really kind of, you know, you know, mucky, right? <laughs> so, you know, it just gets muddy and just nasty. So, you know, let's talk about potentially maybe, um, you know, we're talking about specific diagnoses, but maybe like 50 to 55 year old, you know, degenerative disc, some stenosis. Um, let's dive right in and, and, and kind of talk about that patient. Sean, I'm, I'm sorry if I may interrupt. I think the issue is on my end with my air conditioning. If I could just turn it off real quick, I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. Okay, I apologize to you and everybody else watching. Um, so if my understanding of the question was uh, the typical types of pain in a certain segment of population? Yeah, so let's talk about, you know, and I think, and let's more so the, the patients that I have the most difficulty, and I think PT in general have, has the most difficulty getting better, you know, and this is usually without MRI, right? Because most patients come to us without an MRI until they've, you know, failed PT or, or had a good outcome. You know, we kind of work through a, a movement-based diagnosis and, you know, we do our functional tests and things like that. But for those listening with low back pain and without, you know, a firm diagnosis from, you know, with, you know, an anatomical diagnosis from an MRI, you know, that 50 year old with, you know, just back pain, low back pain, how do you approach them? They come into your office and say, Hey, listen, you know, I got low back pain. It's been going on for three to five years. Uh, mechanism might've been a bend and a twist and it's been going on for two weeks or, or maybe four, depending on how long it gets into, you know, they take to get in to see you, you know, let's just dive right in. And, and when do you consider cortisone? When do you, when do you consider, um, you know, other pain options and, and where do you start? What's going through your brain with that patient? Well, I think it's really important to stratify patients uh, in terms of certain buckets. And that helps to delineate what the treatment options could be. Um, and this really uh, is impacted by an appropriate, targeted, individualized 
history and physical examination. So if a provider overlooks asking the question, that could be um, the answer to understanding what bucket they fall in, the treatment is often going to fail. So from my perspective in general, there are three buckets of patients with spine-related pain. It's, it's sort of the, the chronic non-specific low back pain, meaning there was no inciting event. Um, it's been chronic indolent here and there, uh, exacerbations every now and then, sometimes hard to identify. Um, and often these are the patients that are most challenging to treat because these symptoms have been here and there and um, treated uh, by various providers or practitioners um, somewhat inconsistently. Uh, the second bucket would be patients with low back pain associated with what we call radicular symptoms, um, leg symptoms, for instance, um, or radiculopathy, which just means that there's pressure being placed on a sensory or motor nerve that may cause um, tingling or weakness in the leg. And that would be a separate category. And those are those patients are approached differently. Um, and finally, the third category is are patients who don't fit into either of those buckets, whose pain may be related to something else. Uh, for instance, an infection, a spinal tumor, um, something which isn't as obvious um, or which doesn't necessarily um, add up when you're doing a history and physical examination. So something else that can't be overlooked. Um, so in approaching a patient with, you know, uh, in their mid fifties, if I understood the question, it's important to stratify even that patient. You can't assume um, that there is any particular bucket they fall in until you ask the questions. Um, as we all age, the, the degenerative process or arthritic process really affects us in different ways. Um, and I have patients who are in their mid twenties who have accelerated arthritic findings that would otherwise be seen in patients much older in their fifties or even eighties. And, uh, alternatively, I have patients in their eighties whose spines look like they're people in their fifties. So, um, again, that speaks to the, the need for individualized assessment, uh, diagnostic strategies when appropriate. Um, and coming up, with a, coming up with a specific individualized plan of care. Yeah, that's great. And can you just, I would love for you to touch on just the correlations between the anatomy and pain, right? So, you know, we know that, you know, functional exam or, or, or a, not a functional exam, but an MRI might find herniated disc on 80% of folks or 50 plus, or I don't know the statistics you may know better, but not 80% of people, 50 plus have low back pain. So can you just talk to people about uh, what the anatomy really means and, and if a herniated disc is a, is a normal thing and, and what they should expect. So it's always helpful when the patient's um, subjective symptoms correlate with true anatomical findings or what we call objective findings. But patients with acute, subacute, or even chronic pain often have findings that are not necessarily correlated with objective anatomical findings, um, meaning a patient with chronic nonspecific low back pain uh, may have leg symptoms or perception of numbness or tingling or even weakness. And those wouldn't be expected based upon the physical examination, which may not show that uh, statically, meaning when you do the exam right then and there, or should you go down the path of diagnostic studies, which are uh, thought to be quote, normal. 
Um, so anatomy is, is key um, for any uh, provider of spine care, uh, which includes physicians and advanced practice providers and um, rehabilitation specialists like yourself. It's critical that we understand the anatomy, especially the neuromusculoskeletal system. Um, and it's really important to put those systems or those body regions um, into a, a bigger context, meaning say you roll your ankle and you have an injury. Um, and then over time you develop back pain and uh, that injury, initial injury may have changed the way your body uh, moves or your body mechanics. Um, so if you don't correlate the initial injury, you know, rolling your ankle or um, stubbing your toe or something that would affect your ability to bear weight, say on that foot um, or maintain full range of motion, then you'll miss the fact that that could have been the initial uh, source of somebody's back pain. Um, and when you look at the body as a whole, um, things make more sense. And there's a concept that I like, it's called tensegrity. And it essentially uh, pertains to the interrelatedness of parts. Um, and it's a very osteopathic minded approach. It's a very rehabilitation minded approach where you don't wanna just look at the problem area. You really wanna put it in context of the entire body. And that's where a very focused but comprehensive physical examination comes into play. Yeah, that's great. And you know, when I think that Medicine is becoming more like that, Alexio. Uh, people are starting to look more at the whole body instead of do, you know doing the quick forward forward bend, backward bends, you know, and they just like a quick rotation of down a dirty eval. And really, you know, I know most PTs coming out of school now at least do the gait assessments, and you know, but it takes time for you to really get good at seeing anomalies and anominate rotations and things like that. And you know, I think for on our end, you know, after you've done it for a while, you can kind of, you get good at it, but it, it, it just all, it all matters. You know, if you're not lined up at the bottom or you got a leg length, it could throw off QL, it could throw off a bunch of different things and really affect the low back over time. And, and I think that's where the most successful treatment comes into place is communication between providers like yourself and like me, um, where we understand the different perspectives, we can educate each other and remind each other um, about the holistic management of these patients. And it speaks to some of the problems with a siloed approach, uh, say, you know, by somebody who's just looking at one specific issue and not looking at it, you know, whether it be a musculoskeletal issue or even um, a lab value that, uh, that, that is, is, should be seen within the context of the whole system. Um, and, and again, that's why I think we work so well with our rehabilitative colleagues like yourself. Yeah, no, that's great. So, you know, let's say, you know, there's plenty of patients that, that you know, get better with PT with, for, you know, for non-specific, even low back pain with radicular symptoms, herniated discs, spondylolisthesis. Let's talk about options. You know, let's say I hit a wall, Alexios, at six to eight weeks with a patient, right? And they're just sort of, you know, they're 60, 70% better, but they're still in, in back pain. You know, they've still got pain. And again, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe 50, 60 years old, you know, had probably a 10 to 20 year history of back pain. What are, you know, and I'm going to send them back to you and I'm going to say, Alexios, what are our options? You know, this patient is 60% better. They're moving better. Their range of motion's improved. Their strength has improved. I've done the dry needling. I've done all the instrument assisted soft tissue they can handle. We've tried, you know, X, Y, and Z. What are their options in terms of that next step? And, and what should they be thinking? And what are you educating them in terms of what to expect for, for pain and things like that? Uh, great question. I think 
the answer is multifold. Um, I think whenever you evaluate a patient and have a discussion with a patient about a plan of care, it's always important to remind the patient that we may not be able to cure your pain or uh, improve your function back to how it was when you were much younger. Um, and that my goal and our collective goal often is to, um, to manage the pain better or to manage the loss of function. Um, but in terms of the spectrum of spine care, uh, it's, it's fortunate that we have a lot of um, evidence-based or research-driven treatment options now more than ever. Um, when, when I was a kid, I remember patients having low back pain and the, the treatment was bed rest. And, you know, now we, we both know that that, uh, was never, uh, nor will it ever be a good option. Um, so I think a, a patient say who sees their primary care with back pain and is sent to physical therapy, which I think is a very appropriate strategy, um, and doesn't get better. Um, it's really important to send that patient or engage that patient or to, um, get an opinion of a subspecialist or specialist or subspecialist in um, musculoskeletal medicine or pain management about other treatment options. And there really is a spectrum of treatment options ranging from um, uh, non-surgical uh, or what we call conservative treatment options all the way through um, more interventional and invasive surgical options. Um, and from my perspective, it's always important to um, to first understand the level of pain and the level of um, dysfunction um, and what the patient has been um, engaged in, meaning you know, what has been tried and what hasn't been tried. Um, for some patients who say go to the, the physical therapist or an occupational therapist for initial treatment, um, that's great, that's musculoskeletal care, that's education, that's prevention. But sometimes patients need other strategies like medications, um, like behavioral strategies. Um, like interventional uh, treatments, percutaneous injections. And the role of those is to really synergistically um, work with the rehabilitation paradigm to control pain better so that patients can further engage in you know, continued PT or continued OT, or just to be able to participate in exercise at home. Um, and there needs to be a collaborative uh, interdisciplinary approach where, you know, say a physical therapist says, okay, I've done everything I can do for now. Can you help me to control the pain or the symptoms um, so that we can re-engage the patient uh, when they're better? Um, and again, that, that speaks to the, the critical importance of open communication. Yeah, I think that's just a great, a great way to put it, Alexios. And I think that, you know, Seeing, having seen so much low back pain and how it's sort of sinusoidal and how people do over time, like five to 10 years even with chronic low back pain, you know, there are going to be bouts that I just can't treat somebody. They're just too inflamed and they need to be medically managed. And, you know, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand, like, that doesn't mean you're going to be on NSAIDs for the rest of your life, or you're going to be on gabapentin forever, uh, or you're going to need, you know, cortisone shots every three months until you die. You know, I think it's, it's really important to, to just look at a consult with a, you know, with, with a specialist like Alexios. And what's, you know, what's really cool about your specialty too, Alexios, and your background is that you do surgery as well. So you kind of have the full gamut of what, and you know your outcomes, right? So you know, okay, this, is, this patient is going to do really well with surgery or this patient won't. So 
let's talk about that a little bit. I know I'm kind of pumped. If, if I may interject, you, you mentioned something very important. Um, and it's in monitoring patients' outcomes. Because if there's an assumption that patients are getting better just by your intervention, um, then you will overlook patients who are actually not getting better or who are sometimes getting worse. Um, so there are objective standardized outcome measures for low back pain, such as the Oswestry Disability Index Score. Um, and that's something that can be universally uh, performed by therapists like yourself or uh, medical providers, nurses, et cetera. Um, and that is a great way to longitudinally monitor how they're doing. So if you, the, counterintuitively, the, the worst scores on the ODI or Oswestry Disability Index are higher. So say a patient has a score of 80 um, or 90, that means they're severely limited in their function. And the goal is to get that number down. So say you're, you initially see a patient who has a score of 80 um, and your treatments are getting that, that number down and you're feeling good and um, you're able to share that information with the patient to really enable them and to uh, reassure them that they're going in the right direction. Um, and then for whatever reason, their scores start going back up. Well, that's a clue that there needs to be a reevaluation, reassessment, which includes a history. Like, did anything happen um, in the interim that, that your score would go up? And it could be uh, something simple as, well, they did something in therapy um, that they were stretched too far, or they went beyond their limit of range of motion, or in between the time you saw them and this next time, they had an injury, um, whether it be physical or emotional. Um, and, and again, if that's overlooked, then you won't necessarily be uh, successful in treating the pain over time. Um, so I, I, that was sort of an aside. I, I'm sorry, I forgot the initial question that you asked me. No, and just, and just to piggyback on that. So, you know, every patient here gets either a modified or, or a true Oswestry. And it's nice because they can see the objective change, right? So they'll see when they fill out in four weeks, oh, you know, I can roll over in bed better. Or I can go up and down stairs better. Or, you know, my pain, le pain levels are less because the first thing they, the first three questions are, are you like, what are your pain levels zero to 10, or at least the way we do them? And then are you satisfied with treatment? Do you feel like you're making progress towards your goals? Um, you know, so I think that people, when they see that and they recircle all their answers, it helps them kind of see where, where they are from, from where they were. Um, and, and if I may add to that, um, the, it speaks to the subjectivity of pain. So say you're doing, uh, you know, you're doing great collaborative work with the patient and you see their function improving and you're sharing that with the patient. They come in a pit with a, a, a pain score of 10 out of 10. And then you ask them, okay, what's your, what's your pain now? And they say nine out of 10. Well, again, that, that one point improvement may be substantial to that patient or speak to the, you know, the subjectivity of pain, which has so many other factors, cultural factors, education factors, et cetera. Um, but if you're able to show them objectively, oh, well, okay, you know, the pain has improved only minimally or moderately, but look how much your function has improved. And that's a good way to reassure and educate the patient um, that they're going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was an aside too. We were talking about surgical versus non-surgical approach. Um, and uh, so specifically neurosurgically, and you know, I know you do with some work with the spinal um, stimulators. Uh, talk a little bit about what different kind of spinal surgeries you do and um, you know, what you- um, So if I, if I may back up a little bit. So uh, just to get back to the conservative care options, 
we use, uh, I call it multiple tools in the tool chest to help people avoid surgery. And from my perspective, unless there are specific symptoms that would suggest they need surgery right away, we always try to engage in the things that are, are least invasive, such as specific types of medications, um, the rehab and really communicating with the rehab specialist, behavioral strategies, the complementary and alternative medicine strategies, yoga, chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, um, and the like. Um, and then we use specific percutaneous procedures like epidural steroid injections or nerve blocks. Um, and then uh, if their pain is responding, but perhaps not as much as you'd like over time, uh, we do a lot of advanced treatments. Uh, we do a neuroablative techniques, which means applying electricity to the, uh, to the nervous system to essentially cauterize or ablate a nerve uh, for nerve-related pain, uh, which would improve their function. Um, and uh, then we march on to other things like peripheral nerve stimulation or spinal cord stimulation, which has several subtypes, uh, which means directly applying electricity to the peripheral or central nervous system to control pain. And that works in different mechanisms, some, way, some of which are um, still unknown, uh, but in general, spinal cord stimulation therapy or application of electricity to the dorsal columns, which is a specific area of the, uh, the spinal tract. Um, one of the mechanisms is this theory called the, um, um, blanking on it, uh, the gate control theory. Uh, theory, I apologize. Um, and that's, it's essentially a, a reflex where the, the patient's nervous system is tricked into not feeling the same type of initial pain or nerve pain. Um, and it, the patient instead feels an alternative sensation, um, meaning uh, tingling in the areas where they're having pain. Or with newer technologies, uh, the patient doesn't actually feel any of that original symptom and, uh, and just feels better. And so we call those, uh, those treatments um, uh, uh, to be, we, those are the newer treatment options that a patient could be engaged in. And those, and those again, depend on several electrical paradigms, including um, the uh, intensity of the, uh, the charge, the, 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 the voltage, um, the, uh, the, the directionality of the um, um, electricity, uh, the pulse with things like that. Um, and those are beyond sort of a typical talk. Uh, those therapies often in include implantable generators or batteries that operate the system. Although most recently there are newer systems for patients who are somewhat shy about having an implanted battery uh, where external batteries can be used. Um, newer generations of these type of therapies have also targeted say chronic nonspecific low back pain, which is not nerve related. Um, and I've done extensive research on one of them in particular, where there is peripheral nerve stimulation of some of the muscles that are primary spine stabilizers, the multifidus muscle, to control chronic low back pain. Um, other sort of advanced treatment options include um, uh, disc therapies where electricity is applied to discs um, uh, to actually help to treat disc-related pain. Um, we also have a therapy called intrathecal drug delivery where uh, small amounts of very concentrated medications can be delivered into the spinal canal, uh, avoiding taking a medication like morphine or Oxycontin uh, through the mouth, uh, which has a lot of issues with it. There's been a big um, focus on 
on opioid abuse uh, over the last many years. Um, and that affords the ability, uh, that affords pain control uh, that is more uh, provider control to avoid long-term effects of uh, addiction per se. Um, and and it creates a situation where there's a collaborative effort between the patient and the provider to really control the pain without having the bad side effects. So those are just some of the more advanced treatments that we do. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously got a million questions, but you know, I think to save you know time, let's just talk about you know, I really love this, this you know, and you're you're obviously targeting the sensory nerves, right? So whatever when you're doing the, the nerve stimulation or the ablation, right? Or can you just well, the it? central and the peripheral nervous system. So we we apply electricity directly to the spinal cord or to the nerves that come off the spinal cord, meaning the periphery. Um, other neurosurgical practices also apply electricity to the brain. Uh, so a deep brain stimulation has also been uh, used for a chronic pain that is otherwise not responsive to some of the more conservative treatment options that we would do. Can you talk about, do you ever combine uh, some of that stimulation with like a laminectomy or a fusion or anything like that? Uh, so the, the role of surgery is when there is a, a compressive, say we'll say lesion or issue, uh, meaning there is um, be, pressure being put on the a nerve causing numbness, tingling, weakness, or, or nerve pain that's out of control that hasn't been responsive to more conservative things like injections combined with physical therapy or medications. Um, so it's always important to try the, the least invasive approach possible. Uh, so newer treatments such as um, microdiscectomies where uh, a small amount of disc is uh, taken out through a microscope to alleviate pressure on a nerve. Um, uh, the latest uh, iteration of that is endoscopic spine discectomies where an endoscope, like a, a tube that would be done to um, uh, doing an appendectomy through a very small incision, uh, now can be used uh, in the spine to really um, limit the amount of cutting per se and really reduce recovery time. Um, and other indications for surgery, which are more invasive, say like a fusion, uh, are more when there's instability of the, of the spine, meaning that bones of the spine or vertebrae um, are misaligned or they're moving, um, or if there's trauma, say uh, a spinal cord injury where um, there is pressure being put on the nervous system. And in order to alleviate that pressure and extending the injury, um, there needs to be a, a fusion of, of bones to stabilize that area. And, and fusions per se can be done with instruments, meaning rods and screws, or they can be done without. Um, and there's a lot of evidence uh, that's, that's showing that uh, fusions uh, generally help leg symptoms or radicular symptoms over back symptoms. And there's certainly a concern that some of these surgeries uh, may have been um, used in a way that uh, patient selection wasn't the best, uh, wasn't triaged appropriately. And some of these patients do poorly. And those are often patients that can be responsive to um, treatments like intrathecal drug delivery or spinal cord stimulation. So there's this continuum of care where we may try the most conservative approaches and then the patient has a surgical approach and they still don't recover. And we've tried um, um, all the, the, the least invasive treatment options and then they would come back to have a spinal cord stimulator or a pump. Um, and we're having a continuity of care in say one treatment location or one facility or center 
is really important because then you can take care of the patient um, uh, longitudinally and in an interdis interdisciplinary fashion. Right. I think that's, you know, I think that's huge. And I think in order to track your outcomes too, to know what actually works, you want to have that five-year and 10-year stats. You know what's exactly how things look. Let's talk about, I think that's, you know, I think that's great. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, probably off of this call, pick the brain about, you know, going in there and seeing kind of how some of the bad disc herniations look and how you can help, you know, help people like that. Or even if they have super, you know, really bad stenosis and you're still simulating. Um, but let's just, we can talk about that, that off the call. But uh, let's talk about that pain. A lot of times, you know, in the physical therapy world, a lot of us can get the pain, the ridiculous symptoms to centralize over time but there's still that lingering pain in, in Fortin's area, right? So kind of like right, you know, and just for the audience that's um, unfamiliar with what that, what that means, it's the pain kind of into the middle of your butt a little bit. Um, and Alexis, if you could kind of talk about that a little bit, what, what options people have for that. So it's not pain down your legs for the, for the audience, it's just kind of pain into the butt a little bit. So if you could just dive, dive into that, Alexios, and kind of talk about how that's a little bit different than, you know, a ridiculous pain and, and uh, just pain with that, that's centralized to the low back. Uh, so it's important to understand that the spine um, that the the spine exists within a skeleton system. So uh, we there's two types of pain overall. There's axial pain, which is more related to central pain or back pain per se, and then there's radicular pain, which is leg pain or even arm pain. Um, and uh, it's not always the spine. So if patients have buttock pain um, or hip pain or groin pain or thigh pain, um, it doesn't mean that it's a pain caused by the spine. And that it's really important to identify because uh, say patients have a hip pain and they get hip injections over and over, or they have physical therapy focused on just the hip, or sometimes even have hip replacement surgeries. And the source all along was the back um, or vice versa, then the patient will never improve. So in getting back to your question, say buttock pain, um, focal areas of buttock pain, meaning pinpoint pain that you can press on, um, are often due to things like sacroiliac joint dysfunction or the piriformis muscle or, or, or general myofascial pain. And those types of um, diagnoses often are in conjunction with something else musculoskeletal, something being off. For instance, if your legs are, have a different lengths and your pelvis is tilted, um, then you will have uh, forces that are unnatural or un, um, uh, atypical placed on bodies like uh, the sacroiliac joint. Um, and again, with a, a very careful physical examination, those uh, um, areas can be identified. Um, the myofascial system in and of itself, which is the myofascia is the, the, the connective tissue that overlies uh, muscles and is below the skin, um, has incredible uh, referral patterns that um, should be identified because things like um, uh, trigger point injections, which uh, medical providers do, or dry needling, which uh, therapists can do, can help address those in conjunction with therapy uh, to really improve the patient's symptoms. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it, it, it gets challenging when you get kind of into the nitty gritty. And, and we do, you know, obviously we do thorough assessments here. And We'll fix all the innominate rotations. And for the audience listening, it's your body moves in 3D, right? So you can have in flares, out flares, you can have anterior and posterior rotations. It just gets co complicated. You can have upslip, downslip. So it just, you know, it can get really complicated. So finding somebody who lives near you, who, who knows what they're doing is really crucial. Um, 
you know, to identify all of these different things that Alexios is talking about. Um, so I think that's, no, I think that's great. It's just, you know, does, number one, does it come from the spine, right? And, and I think if, you, if we can do repeated motion to figure that out pretty quickly, um, but then just maybe pressing your PCP for that X-ray of the hip, you know, X-ray of the spine on top of the hip. If they just want to look at your hip, you have hip pain, you know, have them, you know, just look at the low back a little bit too. And I know sometimes Alexios, it cuts off like L1, L2, L3, like you'll get L4, L5 in the hip. But, uh, you know, just depending on, you know, what they order, it can, you know, you're not always getting a full view of the spine, of the spine A to P and then medial lateral, which we want, uh, you know, and especially if you're getting older too, we might want a little flexion extension x-ray of that too, to see if there's any instability. Um, let's and and if I may, um, I know the, the focus here is on low back pain, but uh, say a patient has mid back pain um, and the focus is on the, say the thoracic spine or the mid back itself. Um, and oftentimes the, uh, pain in the mid back is referred from the neck or, or the shoulder or, uh, you know, uh, areas above that. Um, if you don't look at the body as a whole, then you'll have a difficult time diagnosing the fact that it's, it's not where the pain is. It's, it's somewhere else. Right. And that's, you know, and for everybody listening, that's why it's so important to understand that, you know, there's, you know, I'm a big believer in the barns, you know, in the fascial slings and, you know, it, everything is interconnected and, you know, that's why stretching is so important and, um, you know, just, just finding somebody local who knows what they're doing and, and you can get an assessment from is just huge. But uh, so we're kind of running out of time a little bit here, Alexios, and I want to, I want the audience to, you know, have a little chance to ask us some questions if they have any, but uh, what is your, you know, if you had one or two things uh, to give, you know, for advice uh, for, the, for the listeners, what would you give if, if, if people, for those suffering with, with low back pain or, or sciatica? Uh, well, I think in general, it's important to understand that this, the, the, the body has an inherent ability to heal itself. Um, and that resonates even with back pain, that most back pain syndromes get better over time, whether there's uh, intervention or not. Um, so often that means that education and reassurance may be the, the best thing to give to the patient. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, I think the other, the other factors that are important is that there needs to be a, um, a constant communication, collaboration, and partnership with the care team uh, so that it's uh, uh, bilateral, meaning it's not just the provider, it's not just the patient. There needs to be um, coordinated care and that there is responsibility um, of the patient and the provider to manage together. Um, and otherwise, if it's, if it's one-sided, the, the outcomes won't be as good. Yeah, and I think it's important that, you know, and this is where healthcare is starting to get better and, and we're looking at things, but, you know, if I know that I'm at a wall with a patient, I can call you up or I could call some, you know, and say, Hey, listen, Alexius, this person needs a cortisone shot this week. Can you get it done? You know, and that sort of thing is just, sometimes that can't wait, you know, and they just need to get out of that 10 out of 10 pain and get into the, you know, take the week off and get into a state mentally and physically and emotionally where they can start to move again. Right. That's, that collaboration. I mean, that's just so important. Um, so I totally agree. But, uh, how can patients find you, Alexios? How can they reach out to you if they have any questions? So I, I work at the Neuroprint Spine Institute in Rhode Island and Providence at multiple locations. Um, uh, their uh, patients are always welcome to call me. Uh, there's a central number, uh, 401-444-3777. Um, and uh, whether they're evaluated by me or one of my partners, I think it's, it's really important to go to a practice that has a full spectrum of options, meaning all the uh, non-surgical options that we've talked about, conservative care through the surgical options, 
through the rehabilitative um, uh, paradigm and uh, where there's good open communication, not only between the providers um, treating their pain, but also with the family, uh, the family uh, primary care physicians, and the internists, um, because these patients may be engaged in spine treatment, um, but if when they're discharged, um, if they uh, sort of fall off the wagon and they need to be reminded, then the primary care can be involved and say, you know, these are the things that you talked about. These are the things I should, you should re-engage in. And, you know, let's, let's continue to uh, collaborate. Yeah, you know, I think that's, and I think it's important for the listeners to understand too, if low, low back pain is something that can be prevalent throughout your life, you know, so if you, you know, just find somebody close and find a specialist and, and stay in touch with your PCP, have that yearly checkup. And, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of the yearly, you know, physical checkup too, with either a PT or, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, it's just huge. You know, I think that that's, um, you know, I think and, and to that point, um, even though, uh, most back pain is due to an, um, inherent musculoskeletal issue, sometimes back pain can be more serious, a tumor an infection. And if, if you don't communicate and update your primary care physician, um, those things could be overlooked. Right. You don't want to be written off as just having chronic low back pain. You want to you know, be able to have a conversation and, and talk, talk through some of the red flags that we, we would. Right. So, um, anything else, Alexios, that I, that I didn't touch on? Or no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to share my thoughts. Um, if there are any um, uh, comments or questions from the audience, I'm happy to share my email with you and they can contact me directly. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's important to, for patients to understand that uh, back pain will generally go away. Um, and that it's no fault of their own where some, where some people have chronic back pain um, and that you really need to have a good communication with your care provider and a good rapport uh, to make any progress. Just waiting a, a second here or two if there's any questions. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time today, Alexios. Really appreciate that. Thanks for including me. You know, I think, uh, you know, this has been wonderful and I think we've learned a lot. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's great to, to bring on an, an expert like you who can, you know, share their wealth. Of I agree. Appreciate that. And uh, if I get anything coming in, I will, uh, I'll forward it over to you and maybe we can get back to that. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time, Alexios, for joining me. And, uh, well, Take care. Thanks again for joining us for this week's Hooked on Health podcast. Please check out our website in the link below. Whether you're listening on Spotify or on our page, you can reach me personally by email for more information. 